Thank you, Grace. Well, good morning and God's peace to you this morning, uh, whether you're joining us from home or whether you're here in the room with us today. Today we celebrate God's amazing arrival into our messy world and the peace that passes all understanding. For because of Jesus, we have peace with God. And our greatest need, our need for a Savior, has been taken care of. We are set for eternity. We start today with a choral anthem from our virtual choir. And some of the uh, lyrics say, Sing we now of Christmas, spread the comfort. I love that one. Spread the comfort and good cheer. God comes among us, fulfillment of his promise. And that's what we celebrate today. Let's watch.
Let's stand and worship together.
Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5a. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. This world is a hectic place, this year even more so. A pandemic, cultural and social upheaval, anger and division are pervasive throughout society. Within our daily lives, we busy ourselves with plans, work, and family, causing stress, fatigue, and anxiety. We long for peace. We are made to be in harmony with God and with one another. Sin took that away, but God did not abandon us. As we move closer to the advent of Christ at Christmas, we're reminded that the promise of perfect peace has been fulfilled in Jesus. A true and deep inner peace and conviction that regardless of the external circumstances, all is well with us. The Prince of Peace with one who God is greatly pleased makes true and lasting peace with God and with each other possible. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, making peace that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Ephesians chapter two, verses 14 through 16. We light the fourth Advent candle to remind us of Jesus' words, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John chapter 14, verse 27. The next few songs remind us of the humbleness of Jesus' birth. We remember how very close he is to us in each and every good and hard situation that God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. Let's stand.
Good morning, it's so great to see you here today. My name is Michael and I serve with our creative team. Christmas Eve is this week. Whether you're joining on campus or planning to join online, you can reserve your seat and get the details at wheatonbible.org Christmas. Some of our services have already reached capacity on campus, but all of our service times will be live streamed and we'd love to join you there. If you wanna be involved in the candlelight portion from home, you can use your own candle or stop by our West Chicago campus between nine and five Monday and Tuesday to pick up candles. See you there. I'm Jim Getz, and for the past few months, I've been serving with our senior pastor search committee. Thank you for your ongoing prayer in support of our journey. The search committee and the elders are encouraged by God's leading in this important transition for our church and trust that we'll be able to make a recommendation to the congregation in late January. This would be followed by an opportunity for interactions and a congregational meeting in February. Please continue to pray for the Holy Spirit to guide our hearts individually and collectively as we seek God's wisdom, God's peace, and God's unity in our church. This year, COVID has impacted all of us. One man, Freddie, was looking to get connected with our Iglesia del Pueblo campus right when things shut down. Take a listen to his story. Hi, Hola, my name is Freddie Sanchez. Sanchez. This is my wife, Natalia. Hi. We have been married for approximately 11 years, but we had marital problems and we separated. I was living in another state. Then I found out that my husband was sick with COVID. And since we were far from each other, I was really worried, really frustrated because of the distance, knowing that he was alone, that I couldn't do much, and that it was a contagious disease. When I got sick and ended up in the hospital, I said, oh my God, who is going to help me? I am all alone, my wife and my children are not with me, I don't have my parents with me, no one to turn to. I had only been to this church once, and that was enough for people who I had never seen before, who don't even speak my language. I received spiritual help and financial aid. When I left the hospital, the bills were waiting for me, but there was help. They kept me in their prayers. Many people from here in the church would call me asking, how are you? How do you feel? They didn't even know me. That's what impacted me the most. I am very emphatic about that because we usually may say, I care about people that I know, but caring for someone that I don't know? It was a concern that I felt as if I was a part of their family. I also give glory to God because as a result of that disease, although for many people it has been a tragedy, for us it has been a blessing because through that test we had to experience, God brought us closer as a family, as a home and closer to Him. Because through that disease, we have been able to return to the feet of Christ. We are a living testimony that those contributions that perhaps we don't know who gave them had helped us a lot. Our pantry is full. There is no shortage of bread in our house. We can be at peace, rest our minds regarding some needs, because we know that God is supplying them through people who give.
That is great. To feel like you are in a place where they embrace you, where you feel the love of God, and see the Word come alive through actions. I wish many people could experience how beautiful it is to belong to Iglesia del Pueblo. If you don't have a family, here is one that will embrace you and will be with you through thick and thin and will support you at all times. Praise God, amen. I love that line, even though COVID has been so difficult for so many, it's been a blessing for us. Here's a couple that was separated. And he comes to Christ, and they start growing. Their marriage is healed. Their, their family is healed. And it's a whole new day. And that is exactly what the Church of Jesus Christ is about, especially during a pandemic. And so I want to welcome you this morning that are watching online. I want to welcome you that are here with us uh, together, uh, meeting together. And I want to say to you, this is why we exist as a church. We are a hospital. We have the privilege of offering the medicine of the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves souls, that heals families, that blesses children. And because of our commitment to Christ and because our commitment as a church to be a hospital, be salt and light, during this pandemic we've had all sorts of opportunities. You've seen these in the videos over these last weeks, and I promise you, you will love the video on Christmas Eve. We've had these opportunities to bless people, to provide for people financially, uh, to raise uh, uh, money and provide food and on and on, both here locally and around the world. Now, normally this time of year, I come to you and say, okay, we got 11 or so days to go in our uh, fiscal year, and at this point, and this is our case this year, we still uh, need $1.9 million to meet our ministry targets, and those ministry targets are what we've just seen in the video, what we've seen in the videos all month long. But I don't want to say that. I want to say thank you to you, the people of Christ, here at Wheaton Bible Church, for letting God use you to bless people, to lift up the gospel, to share Christ, to step into people's lives, to serve here, to make sacrifices. And I want to thank you for your prayers and your generosity. This is why we exist as a church. And I want to invite you this Christmas season to bring a Christmas gift to Jesus, to give and to give generously, and to bathe that gift in prayer that we might see more and more people come to Jesus. And would you bow with me and let's pray. So Father, we thank you for the goodness and grace of the gospel. We thank you for the wonder of all that Jesus has done for us. And we ask today as we focus on this rich, biblically profound subject of peace and the Prince of Peace who has made it all possible, 
that you would infuse your peace into our hearts, even in the midst of the chaos and the difficulty and the stress all around us. And I pray in Jesus' great name, amen. One day I was having a conversation with one of our five daughters, uh, Kyle, one of our middle daughters, who just a few years earlier, prior to this conversation we were having, had almost died in childbirth. You see, Kyle had started to bleed in labor, and the medical team could not stop her bleeding. And so as it turned out, Kyle lost 120% of her blood and came as close to death as medically possible. But as God would have it, the baby was fine. Eventually, Kyle would be fine. It's just she can never have any more children of her own. So Kyle and her husband, Eric, threw themselves into foster care with a view to adopt to adopt a couple of kids. So what did they do? They opened their home in Los Angeles County to some of the most vulnerable babies and and young children, all minorities. And they would take in one, two, or three at a time. All with a view to, as I said, to adoption. But child after child proved to for many different reasons, to not be adoptable. And Kyle and Eric are still waiting for that moment when they can adopt a couple of children. So that day when Kyle and I were talking, her frustration with their uh, lack of success in adoption, uh, with some of the issues around foster care. I mean, they've had some of these uh, babies for over a year, a year and a half. It all boiled over. And Kyle said this to me, I will never forget it. She said, she said Dad, you know what I hate? I hate my minivan. Because as I drive around here in Long Beach, I see other mothers driving their minivans, and their minivans are full of children, and I only have one child of my own, and I haven't been able to adopt. And man, does that hurt. So I wonder this Christmas, what's your minivan? What is it that reminds you that your life isn't the way you want it to be? Is it seeing people who are dating? A couple who's happily married? Seemingly perfect kids? Or people who have no financial stress, uh, no health worries, who seem to be just coasting and sailing through life through this pandemic, and you're not. The minivan isn't your pain. It's a reminder of your pain. Your fears, your frustrations, your limits, your losses that we have all experienced and will continue to experience in this sinful, fallen, broken world. Now today, as Jess pointed out in the the video, the Advent reading 
Today is the fourth Sunday of Advent. Uh, The subject is peace. Because the bold, I mean radical teaching of Christianity is that on Christmas, the God of peace sent his son of peace to take on human flesh that one day he might die for our peace so that the moment we believe in the prince of peace, we might experience peace. And that peace forever. Now I want to look at how the angel, then the angels express this in Luke chapter 2. This is not our passage, but it sets up where we are going. So follow me beginning in Luke chapter 2 and verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And then suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, here it is, peace to those on whom his favor rests. That is, to all that God gives faith, to all that God saves. Now, Jesus, according to the angelic testimony, is the solution, the divine solution, the divine antidote to our problem of peace, our our lack of peace. And because this subject is so important, I want to go to the letter of Philippians, and I want to look this morning at my favorite passage on the subject of peace, the peace that is ours as followers of Jesus Christ, believers in Jesus Christ. So would you stand with me as we read our principal passage? I want you to stand out of respect for God's word. And I'm going to pick it up in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. The Apostle Paul is writing. He's writing under inspiration. He's writing the words the Spirit of God has given him. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And now here we have the promise. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Now Paul turns, he pivots, and begins to talk about his experience. And he said, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned. Now he's talking about uh, them supporting his ministry financially. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am need, for I have learned to be content. Now, peace and content here are synonyms. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content at peace 
in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now you may be seated. What I want to do this morning is look at the nature of peace, then the requirements of peace, and conclude with the secret of peace. And so what is peace? The Bible talks about peace in two different ways. There's two types of peace. There is peace with God, and there is the peace of God. Now, peace with God is an external, objective, legal state that God grants the person who believes in Christ that Jesus Christ is God's solution to the problem of his or her sin. That the crucifixion of Jesus Christ has appeased the wrath of God. So the moment we trust Christ, we are given peace with God. Now that peace with God is permanent. It's unbreakable. It's something you cannot lose and it lasts forever. But the peace of God is different. It's internal. It's subjective. It's experiential. And it comes to us who trust Christ and are confident in the love and mercy and forgiveness that God has shown us in Jesus Christ. Now this peace of God, which is experiential, comes, on, comes and goes in the life of a follower, a believer in Jesus Christ, depending on the extent to which we are trusting Christ in any particular given situation, any particular given moment. Now I draw the contrast because the angel's announcement in Luke chapter 2 includes both peace with God and the peace of God. But when we come to our passage here in Philippians chapter 4, Paul is talking about the peace of God, the latter, the subjective, experiential, uh, uh, existential privilege we enjoy as followers of Christ. And so what is this peace? I want to suggest to you, first of all, it's an inner sense of well-being. Now go to verse 7 again, where it's mentioned. And I want you to notice how the verse ends. It guards your hearts and your minds, and this peace guards your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ means as a follower of Christ, you are in Christ, and Christ is in you. And so this peace of God is an inner sense of peace, because you're confident in the forgiveness of Christ, you're content in the sovereignty of Christ, and you're joyful in the love and the mercy of Christ. So the forgiveness, the mercy, the love, of Christ, the sovereignty of Christ, is the root and the peace of God, Paul is promising here in verse 7, is the fruit 
And that's exactly why Paul says this peace transcends all understanding. Uh, Because the forgiveness, the sovereignty, the love, and the mercy, our union in Christ, being in Christ Jesus, transcends all understanding. What a promise. What an opportunity to experience the best in life. Now let me get a little practical here, and let's go back to verse 6. Notice the word anxiety. Practically speaking, in this context, anxiety is the opposite of peace. Peace is the opposite of anxiety. And the word anxious here literally means to be in pieces, to be distracted, scattered, tossed by the winds and waves of circumstances and doubts. So therefore... The peace of God here means you're single-minded. It's single-mindedness because of your confidence in Christ, because you're alive in, in the love of Christ. And we have a great illustration of this in Luke chapter 10. Uh, with the sisters Mary and Martha. Jesus comes into their home. He's coming for a meal. He's teaching in uh, their living room. And the passage tells us that Martha is all worried. Martha is panicked about all the preparations. She's literally in pieces because she's focusing on the circumstances. But we get a snapshot of Mary. And Mary is sitting in the living room uh, single-mindedly focused on the teaching of Jesus, on the person of Jesus. And while the Bible never condones laziness, and I'm sure Mary would eventually help with all the preparations, Jesus commends Mary because she single-mindedly focused on him. If you will, she's at peace. Because her heart and her mind is attendant to Jesus. It's a beautiful story illustrating this uh, contrast. And it's important for, (coughs) excuse me, it's important for us today because in big cities like Chicago, (coughs) we spend a whole lot of money, don't we, on education and entertainment, houses and cars. Uh, recreation, medicine, and therapy, all to purchase peace. But what I want you to understand is Philippians tells us when Paul is writing and giving his testimony of his overwhelming contentment and peace, he is in prison. And he has no idea If tomorrow he will be tortured and killed. And I wonder if you were in Paul's circumstance, would you be able to talk about your peace and and your contentment like he does? You see, my, my point is peace is never the absence of problems. Paul's life was full of problems. It's a single minded confidence. 
that comes from knowing that your days are in your Father's hands and that the moment you believe in Christ, God adopted you into his heavenly family, that he is your heavenly Father. And just as the Father scoops up and carries in his arms his son or his daughter who's a toddler that he loves, so God scoops you up into his arms the moment you believe and kisses you and carries you and blesses you, and he is going to carry you in the midst of your problems to where he wants you to go. And when you believe that, it produces peace. The peace of God that surpasses understanding. So first of all, peace is an inner sense of well-being according to our passage. Actually, according to the Bible, it's, it's rooted in Christ. The second thing I want you to see is that peace is also an inner sense of being protected by God. So let's go back to verse 7. I'm going to go back and forth between verses 6 and 7 several times. And notice, the verb guard will guard. It's a military term. The peace of God, transcending all understanding, is going to guard. It's, it's the idea of soldiers surrounding your house, surrounding your family, in order to protect you. So the promise of verse 7 is that the infinite, almighty, all-knowing, all-seeing God is going to protect you. You can't see him, but he's surrounding your family. He's surrounding you when you drive. He's surrounding you when you go to work. He's there. And to the extent you believe that, that he is guarding you, he's guarding your heart and, and your mind, you will experience peace. I love the way this psalm puts it. God is our refuge and strength. He's an ever-present help in trouble. Now, peace and difficulty, trouble are not mutually exclusive. Therefore, we will not be anxious. Though the earth, the earth will give way and the mountains will fall into the heart of the sea. Because the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, another military term. So if Philippians chapter 4 is the application, I want to suggest to you here in Psalm 46, uh, we have the doctrine that no matter what happens, no matter how tragic, how difficult, how many mountains fall into the sea, how many of your mountains fall into the sea, God is your refuge, God is your strength, God is your fortress. And Christ was born at Christmas as a prophesied prince of peace to give you peace. God wants you, fellow believer, to live a life that overflows with peace. Peace is the fruit. Faith in the Prince of Peace is the root. And to the extent you believe that, I mean, you press that reality into your heart, you are going to experience peace. Uh, so let's think about the Old Testament. Isn't this Queen Esther? 
who risks her life saying, if I perish, I perish. Now, you can't say that unless you've come to terms, unless you experience some sort of peace. Isn't this Job? When he declares in the aftermath of the death of all ten of his children, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then there's King David in the midst of all the stress and the, the pressure and the fatigue of leading a nation, of being the king, who says in Psalm 131, my heart is not proud. I, I love this psalm. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. David may be the only king in human history that ever experienced chronic contentment. And then look at Paul here in verse 11. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content. Whatever, whatever the difficulty, whatever the circumstance, whatever uh, the adversary, um, do you see adversity is inevitable, but misery is a choice. And so is peace. It's a choice to fix your eyes on the Prince of Peace born at Christmas. <laughs> now let's go on. I want to move from what peace is, this twofold nature, uh, inner sense of well-being and inner sense of being protected by God, to talk about two requirements of peace. Uh, two skills, two disciplines. And I, I set this up because notice the word learned here in verse 11. And apparently, peace is an acquired skill. Peace is an automatic. You don't wake up in the morning and say, okay, I'm going to have peace today. Uh, peace is a lifelong discipline. To get to peace is a lifelong discipline. It's an acquired, as I just said, skill. And I see in our passage two skills, two disciplines, two requirements. And the first is prayer. So back to verse 6 again. Paul says, don't be anxious about everything, but in every situation, pray, 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 pray. What is prayer? Prayer is trading hearts with God. The biblical notion of prayer is conversation between lovers. Not just pressing buttons on a vending machine. But trading your heart with God. And what's interesting to me <clears throat> is that here in verse 6, uh, prayer is commanded. So why should I pray when God isn't answering my prayers and the cancer is increasing? I've been there. And the answer is because God commands us to pray. As a matter of fact, in our passage, we have a series of commands. So let's go back to verse 4. Here we have the command to rejoice in the Lord. And Paul says it twice, and he adds the term always. 
that we as followers of Christ are, are to live a life of joy. I talked about that last week. That's a third Sunday of Advent. In other words, we are never to let our circumstances trump our faith, our, our joy. Joy is the flag, it's been said, that flies over the heart, that is confident in the rule and the reign and the love of Jesus Christ. And so in verse 5, we now have another command, and that command is to be loving, specifically to be uh, gentle. Now, I, I want you to hear me in this. You know what gentleness is? Gentleness is you treating differences with generosity. Treating differences with generosity is a key to healthy marriage, to healthy friendships, to a healthy work environment, to a healthy church. And if you are in a step family like I am in a, a step family, treating differences with generosity is a matter of life and death. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And then in verse 6, we have the command to pray. So we have three commands. And then now, following the three commands, we have the promise of peace. I want you to see the sequence. Don't miss this. You joyfully worship Jesus as king. You treat other people's differences with generosity. You continually pray. And the promise is you will experience the peace of God which transcends understanding. And you will be a remarkable person because everybody around you will see the peace of God in your life. And man, do I want that for you, but more importantly, that's what Jesus wants for you. That's why he came as the Prince of Peace. Because uh, when you live that way, the Prince of Peace who has been there all along wraps you in his arms and you know it. And you are at peace. But let me raise a question before I go on to the second requirement. Why is it that we can pray and pray and pray and not experience peace? Well, I want to go back to the end of verse 6 where Paul says in every situation by prayer and petition, now notice the two words, with thanksgiving. Paul does not say, end your prayers with thanksgiving. He says, lace your prayers with thanksgiving. And actually, the presence or absence of thanksgiving in your prayer life reveals the extent to which you're focusing on your circumstances, focusing on your difficulties, or you're focusing on the wonder of the forgiveness, the sovereignty, and the love, and the mercy, and your union in Jesus Christ. It's a little thing, but it's a huge thing. If you happen to be there, I mean, you were alive and you were there when Jesus Christ was crucified you would have thought this is the worst thing that could have ever happened. And you would have been wrong. 
because it's the best thing that could have ever happened. And that's a picture of how it is with our lives. Even the terrible things God uses for his glory, God uses for good, God uses to to make us uh, uh, like Jesus Christ. And, And when you see that and you focus on that, when you continually thank God as you pray, peace is the consequence. Peace is the overflow. So the first requirement is we pray. The second requirement is that we think. Look at that verb at the end of this verse. Think about such things. The word think literally means to drill down, to go beneath the surface, to root around, to spend time there, to analyze. And ultimately, what we are to think about, that which is true, noble, and right, and, and on and on, is Jesus. These are all descriptors, ultimately, of Jesus. Because everything in the Bible points to Jesus, and everything the Bible tells us about Jesus is that Jesus is excellent, praiseworthy, admirable, and lovely. And so this is a call to drill down, to press down, and to think about Jesus, and it's so important in our modern secular culture because our modern secular culture tells us the way we get to peace is through seclusion, isolation, relaxation, entertainment, and too often drugs. You see, if God doesn't exist, which is one of the norms and assumptions of our modern secular uh, culture, we can't get to peace by thinking. So the only way we can get to peace is by emptying our minds, numbing them. But Christianity is totally different. Paul says here, no. The way you get to peace is by filling your mind with the wonder of Jesus. And so we contemplate the glory of Christ. Now now let me apply this and let me speak personally. Let's say you're in a time of change. Let's say you're in a time of transition. And, and maybe some of the, co, uh, 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 the pandemic has brought changes in your life that, that are really awful. Uh, losses. Uh, there's been death or uh, there's been difficulty. There, you may have lost your job or, or, or lost uh, something else. You can't do what you want to do. Uh, as you high school students and college students know uh, so very well. So there's been loss and it's that loss has produced change. Or maybe there's something on the horizon that you're stepping into and it, 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 it's a time in between where you are now and where you will be in the future. This is exactly where Rhonda and I are living right now. We know we're leaving Wheaton Bible Church next year. Uh, We're thankful for the 26 years God has given us, but we believe God is leading us on now. It's time for younger men to take the reins of this church and, and lead this church into the future, and I am so fine with that. But because of some work I've done in the past, I mean in the 
distant past. When I'm in a time of change or transition, I, I go to Israel in the wilderness. Because Israel in the wilderness was a time of transition. They had left Egypt. They had a vague sense of where they were going to uh, this promised land. But man, the wilderness experience, uh, that was a desert. It was filled with difficulty, unanswered questions. Problem. And Israel repeatedly rebelled because transition and change is so difficult. Uh, so Rhonda and I know we're leaving. We know we're moving to the suburbs of Denver where we have kids and grandkids, but we've got a lot of unanswered questions like, when is our house going to sell? Where are we going to live? How close to uh, our kids uh, do we want to live? And then there's all, all this uh, about starting our, our new jobs, and for Rhonda, it's really complicated. And we are on uh, the backside of question marks. And that can be difficult. And so as I was getting stressed because I want to control things, God gave me a verse about Israel in the wilderness. But they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his plan to unfold. And the lights went on as I read this verse, and I'm working my way through the Old Testament, so I came to this verse in the Psalms. And it occurred to me, I cannot make the mistake Israel made. I cannot forget all that Jesus, who was lovely and excellent and admirable, has done for me in the past. So I've been meditating on the blessings and the grace of my past life, all the things Jesus has done for me. And I, I cannot um, get impatient and deny that Jesus has a wonderful plan for my life, even if it involves pain. And so I'm going to wait for this lovely Savior to unfold his plan for our lives. And I got to tell you, and I'm being totally honest, the moment I read that, the moment I thought about it, I drilled down, I went below the surface. My heart and my mind was flooded with peace. And that's where I still am six weeks later. I want that for you. Think. Think about the loveliness, the sovereignty, the goodness of Jesus Christ. And the result, the consequence, is peace. So let's go to the secret. What is the secret of peace? The secret of peace, Paul tells us, is dependence, surrender, and submission. So look at these verses. I have learned uh, the secret of being content in, every, in any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And here's the secret. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And now we're back to Christmas. And I want you to hear me. If Christmas is anything, it's the story of surrender, sacrifice, submission, pain, humility. Jesus' suffering, Jesus' humility, Jesus' dependence on God, Jesus' submission to the plan of God. So, Jesus on Christmas Day, laid aside his glory. 
chose a life of poverty. Every day of his life, he suffered, culminating in his death by crucifixion in our place for our sins. And so what did Jesus say just hours before he was crucified? Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. The greatest statement of submission, dependence, and surrender in human history. And do you see? Paul is illustrating what Jesus lived. Paul is living actually what Jesus lived. And in Christmas, the story of Christmas, we discover the secret to peace. It's surrender. It's submission. It's you depending on the living God. The the path to peace is you giving up the lie that you are your own, that you are in control of your life, That your problem is your pain. It's a lie. That you know what's best for you. It's a lie. Peace is found not in demandingness, but in surrender. Rooted in the infinitely greater surrender that Jesus took on himself at Christmas. When he became your Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Father, for these children and these students, these adults that are present, I ask God that you would fill their lives this Christmas with a wonder of the advent of Jesus Christ that we would see together in ways we've never seen before how lovely and beautiful and admirable and praiseworthy and excellent and true and noble and right, pure Jesus is. But we can't do this on our own. Would you give us the grace by the power of your Spirit to live that way and to understand that Jesus came to purchase our peace. Amen.
Thank you, Risa. That was beautiful. Now, may God the Father, through the work of God the Son, and by the power of God the Spirit, fill you with peace. And may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in Jesus. Give us that grace. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today. And Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent. May God give you a wonderful and Merry Christmas.